0: Hello, everybody. Welcome once again as we continue on in our study that we're doing through the New Testament, a chapter at a time, and we are up to Acts chapter 16. We've done Matthew, Mark, we did the book of John, then we started Luke, finished Luke, and moved right into Acts. We put Luke and Acts together because they were both written by Luke, and Luke wrote them to a person named Theophilus, which means lover of God, um, And we believe there was an actual person, Theophilus, but if not, it's written to all of us as lovers of God. Uh, Luke was very good in the way that he tracked information down. He was quite the historian, um, and he first documented in in his gospel, Luke, the life and ministry of Jesus. And now in the book of Acts, he is documenting for us the activities of the early church and what took place. And... um, It it ties in a lot of things together for us. The book of Acts is a very important book, as we can find out what the early church did. Uh, I've told you week after week that um, connecting with it uh, is very important because uh, even though we don't add to canon, the scriptures closed and done, um, the book of Acts continues on in us at some level because we're still, it's still the acts of the disciples and that's us. And so the things that we do are book of Acts things. Um, the $1 car wash we did last Saturday, that's a very simple thing. That's book of Acts stuff, all right? That's getting out there and touching the culture however you can for Jesus. And, and these guys that are out doing this stuff, this, for them, everything they do is cutting edge. There's been no one else. And they're, they're going out and doing things and, and finding ways to reach people um, for Jesus and they do um what it takes and you're going to see that as we we continue on in the process and uh, you know just as jesus was very cutting edge and you know the, the, before jesus they there wasn't anybody doing big um fish sandwich giveaways on the mountainsides like he did uh do you get that reference okay because i thought it was funnier than that <laughs> but it's too late now um the, uh, uh, I want you to see what they're doing to reach the world because the call is still on us to do the very same thing. This is what it means to be a disciple. And, uh, you know, if you were here over the weekend, you heard me say, you know, just this week, I've had this idea that, that you know, we need to, to flabbergast people for Jesus. Just whatever we can do to stop them and, and cause them to think just enough to to get to the point that they realize their need for Jesus in their lives, and that um, short of that realization that they're not going to make it. So uh, we we continue on in those things. And so we um, have worked our way through the book of Acts. A lot of things have happened in the beginning of Acts, you know, the very beginning, as we talked about. Um, Jesus, uh, post-resurrection, uh, shows up, and he's, he's with his guys, and then it's the ascension, um, and then the Holy Spirit comes in Acts 2, uh, Pentecost, and then the church is started as Peter preaches, and, and the Spirit of God falls, and 3,000 are added, and they begin their ministry in Jerusalem. It's very powerful. Um, uh, they continue with the, along with the same problems they had with the Jewish leaders who went after Jesus. And going, uh, they're persecuting the church. But the church thrives. It begins to spread under the persecution with, uh, you know, things that happened to Stephen and, and on and on. Paul, we meet uh, Saul on the journey who was persecuting the church and then gets converted radically. And um, he he comes for a while and he preaches in Jerusalem very powerfully for a couple of years. And then the heat gets so hot, they ask him to go. And he goes off to Tarsus for about 10 years, and then Barnabas is sent to Antioch, and that church goes, and he goes to get Saul and brings him back and, and out of that big church in Antioch, you know even though uh, Jerusalem is still sort of the main church, the mother church, if you would, um, Antioch becomes the church where these missionary journeys begin. And a few chapters ago, they sent out Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey, and they went and preached the gospel to the Gentiles who received the word and, and um, The Holy Spirit was working among them, and they planted churches wherever they went. Um, Last chapter, we saw the big sort of controversy in Acts 15 um, of what to do with these new Gentile believers because some of the Jewish believers thought they needed to get circumcised and obey the whole law of Moses, which was a big deal because it wasn't well received um, by the Gentiles and it could have been a huge problem. But they determined at the big church council after much prayer and a lot of debate and discussion, um, James, the brother of Jesus says, here's what we're going to do. And we're not going to burden the Gentiles with that um, because Peter had already said that They hadn't even been able to carry it. Them were their ancestors. But they were going to give them these few things that they needed to do, which were really moral things. And uh, as I said to you, I think that ultimately what James said to the church was you guys need to live by trying to do the next right thing. And uh, so that's that's what happened with Acts 15. At the end of Acts 15, uh, we saw uh, Paul and Barnabas had a little argument about whether or not John Mark... The, the, gospel, the writer of the Gospel of Mark should go with them because he deserted them on the first trip. Barnabas, who was his cousin and who by nature is an encourager, wants him to go on the trip. Paul's like, I don't think he's ready. And so they decide to go in separate ways. And Barnabas takes uh, John Mark and goes in one direction. Paul takes a guy named Silas and he heads off into what's about to take place in chapter 16. Uh, also of note, before we, we jump into the reading, um, you're going to be introduced to Timothy. Uh, who's a young man, very interesting young man, and he will pop up a lot in the New Testament in, in our studies to come. And so take note of him. Very interesting guy. And just to be thinking about this when we read, um, uh, Timothy, his mom was Jewish and his father was Greek. And this post-church council where that whole ruling about circumcision stuff happens when, when Paul decides to take Timothy along with him and Silas, and, and Timothy's kind of going to fulfill the role that John Mark had in the other trip, um, he decides to circumcise him first. Very interesting, and, and we're going to talk about that some more at the end of this thing, but pretty fascinating point. And then the other thing that's pretty interesting is uh, Luke chapter 16 um, is a we chapter. And by that I mean all of a sudden the uh, narration is going to change to we. And what happens, starting around verse 10, is that Luke joins the trip. And then at the end of the chapter, he stays there, and it's not we anymore for a while. Um, but but it's, if you've never caught that before, when it shifts to we, that means Luke is actually there. At that point in time, on that journey, he shows up on this journey at verse 10, and is with them through some of the events, which I think is pretty cool. Um, uh, that that uh, he's recording for us things... Not only that he found out, but actual events that he saw was a part of. So that's what's uh, big in Acts 16, 40 verses. Let me read them to you. You can read along. They're in your notes. You can open your Bibles, follow along there. Acts chapter 16, we'll start in verse 1. He came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised them because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Um, you know, I don't like to stop and... and but make sure you see that, these new churches that they had planted were growing daily. That means they were adding believers to their numbers every day. That's phenomenal growth. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phyregyra and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we, went, uh, we put out to sea and sailed straight for uh, Samothrace and the next day on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, And the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. Did you see us? Did you see the shift? Okay. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted a future. She earned a great deal of money from her owners by fortune-telling. The girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged him in the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs on law for us Romans to accept her practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had become to believe in God, he and his whole family. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order to release those men. The jailer told Paul, The magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released, now you can leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, They beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens, and threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. And Paul and Silas came out of the prison. They went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and encouraged them. And then they left. And blessed be the word of the Lord. Neat stuff happens in this chapter, uh, as it does in most of them. Um, So so let's talk uh, about this together. Those first few verses in Acts 16. Uh, What what happens here is that, that Timothy becomes sort of Paul's, protege. Paul is Timothy's mentor. Timothy had a good reputation. He had a heart for God. Um, uh, He was probably brought to the Lord by Eunice, who we'll find out uh, more about uh, as we go, uh, who who was a lover of Jesus. And um, uh, Paul wants to take him on this trip. Now, considering we just had Acts chapter 15, where the whole council thing was about people in Christ not having to be circumcised, and Timothy, whose mom is Jewish but whose dad is Greek, hasn't been circumcised, um, why in the world would Paul then insist that Timothy be circumcised? And, and I want to I explain it as I understand it, because I think it's, it's pretty significant. Because um, later on, there's an account, an encounter, um, a, a description of, of Titus, who's a Greek, who Paul... Doesn't have circumcised, and who's involved in the ministry? So you go, wait, what's the difference? Okay, here's the difference. In this case, um, the reason that Paul uh, encourages Timothy to get circumcised, I'm I'm sure Timothy had the final say in the matter, (laughs) um, because it's a pretty significant deal, is because um, on their ministry time, they're going to be ministering to Jewish people, and because Timothy's mom was Jewish. The Jewish people they meet would have trouble um, with someone of even partial Jewish descent not being circumcised. This had nothing to do with Timothy's salvation. Timothy was saved as a believer. His circumcision had nothing to do with it. But Paul chose to do it, uh, encouraged it, for the sake of the ministry. And that's really pretty significant, see, because sometimes for the sake of of the good news, the Lord will ask us to do things that, that we, we might not technically have to do, but might be good for the sake of the ministry. Just like there'll be times when he'll as, ask us not to do some things that technically we might be able to do, but we don't do them for the sake of the ministry. They're not salvation issues. They're, they're kingdom issues on on people being receptive to the gospel and so it's a pretty significant deal but but that's the reasoning behind it this way when timothy goes there's not going to be an objection based on his circumcision or not uh, as he's able then to minister to jewish believers as well and get past that stumbling point so so that's why that happens it's not a salvation issue so you need to see that that's that's been decided that that wasn't part of the whole salvation issue but that's why that happens with Timothy in the process. And uh, and so ultimately, it's a, a decision that's based on the presentation of the good news uh, would go better if he was circumcised. And so that's what they did to the sake of the ministry, not a matter of salvation. Make sure you, you have that filed in there. All right, verses 4 and 5, they're traveling around, and they're going visiting, revisiting the churches that they started. They're blessing them. They're telling them of the decision of the council about the whole not needing to be circumcised for the Gentiles, and, and this is what they asked us to do uh, and encourage you to do, and the churches are blessed, and the churches grow, and it's sort of another uh, report from Luke about at verse 5 there about the churches are doing really well to strengthen, and they're growing, and these things happen. Um, and then in verses 6 through 12, see these journeys are, are uh, the, the guys are being led by the Spirit. And, and here for a few verses, it's in a very negative way. They keep getting shut down. Because that's not where the Holy Spirit wants them to go. They try and go over here, it doesn't work. They try and go over there, it doesn't work. Um, and, and, you know, they, 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 well, we're not supposed to go there. We're not supposed to go there. And what are we supposed to do? And finally, in, in the night, Paul has a dream, inspired by the Lord, of a man from Macedonia saying, Come, we need help. And they figure that's the sign. And so they hop on a boat. And they head in the direction of... Uh, uh, Macedonia and they, they get on a ship and they go to Philippi which would be which was the big city in Macedonia that's where they're gonna start they've been called there so they go to the biggest city um, that's where most people are so that's where they they feel led to go that's where they start now this would have been uh, this was a Roman city uh, sort of colonized um, a lot of these cities were were colonized by um, Roman soldiers and stuff after big wars they would stay and they could they could live in these cities and do very well um, and, and, and basically have all the rights uh, that, that they would have had if they lived in Italy here in this place. They're, they're exempt from tax and all the other things that the locals had to pay. It's a pretty good situation. Uh, so it was a Roman colony. Um, and uh, in verses 13 through 15, the, we, we figure out that there's not a big Jewish population there because the guys don't go to the synagogue on the Sabbath, because there isn't one. Um, uh, for a synagogue to be in any place, technically you're supposed to be ten Jewish males. That's what it takes for a synagogue, ten Jewish males. It has something to do with a quorum in prayer, basically. Um, and if it doesn't exist, at least back then, uh, there would be no synagogues. And so th- there apparently wasn't ten Jewish males in Philippi. What would happen in that case is if there wasn't enough uh, Jewish males for a synagogue, there would often be what was called a place of prayer. And um, these would be people who believed in Yahweh, the Jewish God, uh, and they would meet for prayer outside the city somewhere. It might be an open-air place, or it might be a facility, but it wouldn't be an established synagogue. And so the guys are going to look for one of those places, and and they find these women that are gathered, who are, are obviously praying. Who And these women would, would be believers in um, uh, Yahweh, the Jewish God, but not yet in in Christ that because they hadn't heard that yet. And so that's whom they sort of find out there in this place of prayer. And uh, they go out there and they begin to talk to these women and present to them the gospel. And some of them get saved, in particular this woman named Lydia. Uh, and, uh, um, and her and her whole household are saved and, and then this, uh, that she was a woman of some worth would uh, be demonstrated in the fact that she invites them to come and stay at their house. There's at least four guys, plus her household, which is there was a bunch of them and staff and whatever, must have been a big house to accommodate this many people. So um, they, she invites them to come and stay, and they go and stay. That's where God has them, and that's where they go and stay. So they stay at Lydia's house. Now, the... Uh, In verses 16 through 24, this thing happens, that I think is pretty fascinating. Um, It says that they're on their way back to the place of prayer because that's where they're going to find people that they can preach the gospel to. And they encounter this slave uh, girl who's possessed by a spirit uh, who operates in the occult and tells people their futures. Uh, It's a very demonic sort of situation and, and uh, this is the the, the the person they find. Now, what she starts doing, it says, is she starts following them around wherever they go, shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Now, while she, what she was saying was true, the endorsement of a demon-possessed person was probably having a negative impact on the presentation of the gospel. <laughs> Do you get it? Uh, and, and it, it, was, it frustrated Paul ultimately to the point where he turns around and says, in the name of Jesus, come out of her. And, um, and under the unction and anointing of the Spirit of God, she, the, the demon leaves her. She's done. Um, but now there's a problem because the, the, the people who own this woman made their livelihood off of her. She was like this cash cow. And now she's, she's worth nothing. Uh, in effect, because their livelihood shot. And so they get mad about this. See, again, here's what you remember. See, to me, it's a picture of just like um, the the Jewish leaders, when they were seeing the miracles of of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit changing people's lives. They didn't ultimately care about that because they, they didn't like how their own livelihoods were being threatened and their own positions, and their own deals, and everything they had worked in. See, so, so even though they could see that God was doing something, they're like, yeah, but I don't really care because it's messing my world up. Here these people have to know that God just did something amazing. And all they can see is, hey, it's costing me money. And so they grab Paul and Silas, and, and remember now, they're in a very Gentile area, and, and Luke and Timothy are with them too. They don't grab Luke and Timothy because uh, uh, Paul and Silas look very Jewish. And it's a, they grab them to stir up a crowd, and they say, look, these, these Jewish guys are causing us problems. They're, they're teaching things us Romans. They didn't know that they were Christians, that us Romans shouldn't follow. The, the irony is, Paul and Silas are Roman citizens, uh, which meant a lot. They had, they had all sorts of protection and rights that they weren't afforded um, by the magistrates who don't even check it out, just see the crowd all stirred up, and you see how often we see public officials just go over the crowds? That doesn't happen today. <laughs> I won't comment on my own comment. Now, the, um, so they, they whip this crowd up, and the magistrates take Paul and Silas, and they have them stripped and flogged. It's, uh, Paul talks about it later on. It's one of the times when he's beaten nearly to death. Uh, you know, now think, Paul and Silas I've just been out there trying to preach the gospel. Do you ever stop and think about these guys who are just out there doing what God's told them to do? Hey, you told us. Now th- think about where you could go with this. God, you told us to come to Macedonia. You sent us here. And, and they get stripped and beaten and tossed into prison. You think it might be pretty easy to, to get upset about that? But you know what they do? They just start to worship God in prison. They start singing. I love that story. They, so they just like, God, we're, you know, we're here we're, and we love you. And they just start worshiping God. And, and I, I love it that, you know, that all of a sudden this earthquake happens and it, and it shakes all the doors open. Don't you think that's cool? Now, for Peter, remember Luke records a lot of stuff and, and gives a lot of similarities between Paul and Peter's ministry because they were quite similar in, in their anointing. Of what they did remember peter had an angel come that opened all the doors but an earthquake works just as well doesn't it and and the whole thing shakes loose and and uh the jailer freaks out because he's responsible for the prisoners and and he's thinking i'm I'm as good as dead he's actually thinking he'd rather kind of make that decision himself he's considering killing himself when suddenly paul is aware of this and he says hey we're all here so not only were Paul and Silas there, none of the other prisoners left either. Now, I have the a, a thought that what happened was they all, at that moment, got what just happened. Because they could hear the worship going on, and they knew that God was up to something. Even if they didn't know him, they'd stopped right there and stayed right there. And I'm sure the jailer had even heard them singing. So this whole event happens, and it has all their attention. And so the jailer rushes in and sees them, you know, and he's overwhelmed because hes I would guess he was flabbergasted. Um, I don't know. I'm just inserting that Uh, because they're there. And I I love the question. He says, sirs, he bows down to the prisoner. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Isn't that cool? What must I do to be saved? And their response is is critical um, uh, because verse 31, this is what they say to that question. Believe in the Lord Jesus. That's it. It doesn't, do you get that there's not any other works attached? Just believe in the Lord Jesus. You'll be saved, you and your whole household. That's the deal. See, most of the time, we want to add some other conditions to the message. Believe and, here's about a dozen other things you ought to do. That verse, believe in the Lord Jesus. The rest of it, the Spirit of God takes care of. So, so there's this powerful encounter that happens. And, and I love this too in those verses. There's another powerful picture because it says around verse 33 um, that the jailer then, because they've been severely beaten, flogged, so they would have open wounds all over. The jailer takes them and carefully washes all their wounds. That's, that's big. But the very next verse, you know what then happens? So they have all their wounds washed away. Paul and Silas, you know what they do? They baptize the jailer and the household and they have all their sins washed away. You see how cool that is? See, that, I mean, I, I love this picture of what's taking place in, in this whole process. And then, um, and then, like I said, they, they, the magistrates call up the next day and say, oh, you can release those guys. And the jailer says, hey, good news, you can go. And Paul's like, hey, tell them, hey, we're Roman citizens. And you just think we're going to walk out? Now, you might think he was trying to get even. I have another thought. I really think, you know why Paul said that? It was another opportunity to witness to the magistrates. I fully believe that was the whole deal. Let's get another shot for them to see what God did down here at the prison and that we stayed and that what God's done and it gives them one more chance to see the power of God. I don't think it was a who are you messing with thing at all. Look what God did and, and he'll do it for you too. And then they ask them. Then they ask them this time. Hey, and by the way, would you guys leave town? (laughs) And they say, Yeah, okay. But first, we're going to go visit Lydia. And it says they go back and they have a little church time first, and then they leave. Very powerful chapter of things that happen in the book of Acts. And this is really cool stuff. Um, Now I'm I'm pretty much done, but I'm going to tell you a story on the way out. The uh, You know, for years and years, I used to go and do ministry in the jails and I was down there a lot and I was preaching to the guys in the jails um, uh, for years and I, I was one time in maximum security and we had some pretty good privilege at that point to go and minister and I wanted to preach on this verse 31 because it's very powerful, what do I need to do to be saved? Well, you you know, I have a habit of going into context and so I went in first and now remember I'm in I'm in in jail And I read the story of them worshiping in jail (laughs) and this big earthquake comes and opens all the doors, right? I didn't really think that much about it because my point was how you get saved and so we did this whole thing and 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 a very powerful ministry time there in the jail and when I was done Um, We we were in this room, and we came back into the general population where the guys were pretty much in lockdown. There's a big fence in this one dorm uh, that went all the way to the ceiling. It separated stuff. And um, (laughs) one of the guys decides to break loose, and he charges all the way to the top of this thing, about three stories high, and he's shaking it up. (laughs) And it literally stirs up a riot inside this dorm. And all of... (laughs) It's not good when you're in there, you know what I mean? And I'm trying to get small, which isn't easy. And, and all of a sudden, man, these, these, all these guards come rushing into this dorm, you know what I mean? And they're trying to quell this whole thing. And while they do it, I slip out, you know, whoop, out. And then after that, I was never allowed back into that dormitory. <laughs> That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> so you have to be careful of what material you choose. For what crowd you're working with, (laughs) there was a very powerful lesson to learn. I never preached that sermon again in jail. (laughs) I always just picked it up at that verse and forget the context. Okay. So um, that's all I have to say about Acts chapter 16, great verse. If you are watching uh, by video, thank you for watching. And uh, we're going to shut the video down and pray for the folks here. God bless you guys. If you need anything, you can call us or write us. Please let me know upstairs that you heard me and you shut the video down.